0: This is the Ezra podcast, and we're talking UFC 279. We got to talk about everything, the way it played out. Very interesting night, especially with, you know, all the um, mayhem that happened the night before and the whole card shake up. And I thought we got a, a more interesting card. And I think everybody kind of felt that way. I think some people thought that this card is getting kind of overrated now. Right? We got overrated because of everything that happened and they still thought it was a bad card or they thought that, you know, it's kind of nonsense for the fighters, and it, it is like guys like um Kevin Holland, right, or Legion Lang, or Daniel Rodriguez. I don't think that they got the fair end of this one. I think it, it worked against them in this fight. Now, Chimayev got to stay on the card after not making weight or coming close to it. Um, I think Tony Ferguson got the better matchup that he wanted. That he got a main event. I, I guarantee all these fighters got paid more. And Nadia's definitely got a better matchup for him. Nadia's definitely got the matchup that. Was way more favorable to his style, way more favorable for him to win, and um, you know the the chances of him getting destroyed enough, I just weren't that likely. It was always going to be somewhat of a competitive fight, even if a fight if he lost. But I didn't think he had a chance of losing this fight. And I know that the odds were actually in favor of Tony Ferguson, which was very odd to me, because I I mean you got to remember Tony Ferguson just coming off being flatlined at this point. So how could he be favored over Nate Diaz? It's just that that part, it didn't make sense to me. I get that it being closer odds than, of course, the Chimaya fight because the two of the styles kind of work well together, or at least we thought they were going to work well together, it kind of end up being a little more of a you know, clumsy fight, a little more frustrating fight, a little more awkward fight. But let, let's get to the breakdown of Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson. Now, Nate Diaz, we have to talk about it, been fighting since in the UFC since 2007 on a really high level. That's pretty insane to still be fighting at a high level in 2022, especially in MMA where the sport has evolved in a rapid race since like the early 2000s to now, right? To the point to where fighters were fighting in 2007, like Rich Franklin, Chuck Liddell, um, Tito Ortiz. Those guys, uh, This is say like Jens Pulver, those those names, right? Would it be absolutely primitive if they fought today? It just wouldn't work, they would not be high level fighters. And I maybe that's um sounds harsh to say, but I, I really believe that's the case. That this the, the sport has evolved so so far beyond that, right? Just with like the techniques, the way it's way more put together, just the mistakes that were made in the past are just not really uh commonly repeated today. Nate Diaz's style has been from 2007 to 2022 and still been effective at a high level. It's... It, it's kind of unheard of, right? And if we look at his record and it's not impressive. And he, you know, he's got, he's like really a win some lose some type fighter. But you have to think about it in the sport of MMA and how many styles there are and the evolution of it and how there's always the, a new top guy. And like every year, there's always feels like there's a new top guy that could be possibly the best ever. This guy has rolled through all those times, right? With his style that has been effective through all these times. Like it's like everything he's saying. You kind of get where he's coming from now when you really think about it that way. When he really says, "like I'm the best fighter," right? It's because of effectiveness. It's because of the, his style has lasted the test of time. Think about that. Think about all the fighters that have fought in this time. And Nate Diaz's style is the one that has aged the best. That's that's it's pretty crazy to think about. So when he's saying these things and him being a legend and all those, and we try to downplay because he doesn't have, you know, um, the greatest record or anything like that, it has it it, it, it. it that argument can stand on something because of that. Because since 2007, he's been effective in this sport. It's just that not doesn't happen often, or just not guys aren't usually that effective and stay long, especially MMA. Like MMA, if you look at go look at a UFC card 2007, just look at those guys fight. And then look at the guys fight today and just tell me that you pick some guys out there. You're like, yeah, they could compete today. It's just not, you're not going to see a lot of them. You're not going to see a lot of them. So we get to the fight with Tony Ferguson. And Tony Ferguson is, to me, when it goes into this fight, I thought like, oh, this is going to be a good, uh, I think a lot of punches are going to be landed in this fight. I think that it's going to, their styles are going to mesh well. And it was entertaining, but I wouldn't say that their styles mesh well. I thought it was kind of an awkward fight. And that could have been because Tony Ferguson balance was really bad in the fight. And that has to do with him no longer being in his prime and being far from it, in my opinion, and just not being able to keep his balance after one or two shots. That's the truth. And that's why he was doing the spinning. And people were saying, don't turn your back. Don't turn your back. It's because he couldn't help it. He just did not have the feet to stay, uh, to stand straight. I mean, that's, that's just the honest truth. Now, Tony Ferguson's always been known to do some strange, and interesting techniques, but watch him against Gaethje and then watch him in this fight and tell me that that's the same balance that this guy has. It's just not, it's not the same balance. Now Nate, I think, feels really comfortable in this fight, and I shared there's some moments, right? There's some moments like his definitely the leg kicks from Tony Ferguson were really affecting Nate, and that's that's always been Nate's problem, is with the leg kicks. And he could always been destroyed with leg kicks, and Tony Ferguson was really gonna off his leg, and that's what if you notice when he starts really landing him, you start seeing Nate play around more, right? Start uh, joking around more, start walking away, putting himself against the fence, like a lot of stuff. It, it was all mind games, right? to get Tony Ferguson to stop focusing on the leg, to get Tony Ferguson to start opening up with his hands and, you know, st- start getting more a little more exchanges. Now, I did think that Ferguson kind of got away from leg kicks for some reason. I thought he should have just kept doing and doing it until Nate couldn't stand on that leg anymore. But he, he, at that point, he would take long gaps from it. Now, Nate kind of fought his fight, right? He was comfortable as far as the stand-up, as far as the punches. There wasn't a lot of things landing or anything like that. Uh, he wasn't cut up in this fight, and usually he's cut up. And he's kind of just working his own pace. And eventually, like I thought, it was just waves and waves of things that would just eventually break uh, Ferguson. Now, I wouldn't, sure, I wouldn't say that he broke Ferguson. I would say more that he forced Ferguson. He got to a point where Ferguson was forced kind of to make moves that he probably shouldn't have made. And I think the takedown was definitely one of them. And I think that that happened just because I think his corner was seeing that uh, Nate was finding his spots a little bit more. His shots are starting to add up more. And they wanted to do something to change the momentum of the fight. Now, I, I scored every round for Nate. I do agree that the third round could be a, a swing round, but I had every round for Nate. So going into the fourth, I, I thought Nate was up three 0 comfortably. Then he goes and wraps up the guillotine, and it, it's it's all over. Uh, submission for uh, Nate Diaz over Tony Ferguson. And we had to talk about Tony Ferguson's just kind of like ground game just really diminishing it's not really a thing you talk about, right? When guys lose their prime, it's usually, they're out of their prime, it's usually their hand speed, their power, their timing, all those things. Tony Ferguson's, like, ground game is just really diminished. Now, um, my friend Andy, who watches a lot of MMA, he's uh, very smart when it comes to the MMA. He did bring up the, you know, like, against guys like Dariush and guys like um, the champ Oliveira, they have a more, um, like, a, their jujitsu is, like, more compact and get in position. And I'm going to hold that position, right? And then that, that's what the more their game is. And with like a guy like Nate Diaz, he says it's more fluid. So, you know, he's looking to roll with you, get a, get on his bag, look look to catch something. And he said that that's kind of how Ferguson is. So he thought it might be interesting on the ground. I, I did kind of think it might be a little more interesting on the ground too. And right away, Ferguson just goes for takedown and just gets guillotine. And that's kind of really, if you think about it, like that's a really, really, um, like low-level jiu-jitsu mistakes he didn't really get caught in it is, it is especially like i fight that i don't think like he was like drained of energy or like you know to fall into that he just fell right into it like it's just common thing and it's just like a diminishment and what tony ferguson was like i understand he doesn't have the durability anymore but just to have no ground game or no defense for it and guys just being able to have their way with him. because if you remember chandler too got on top of him he was kind of having his way in the end of the first round that that's definitely interesting. It's really, I think, one of the first cases I've seen where it's like the ground game just really disappeared as his prime went away. So Nate Diaz gets the win that he, that he wanted on his exit, and you know he gets the last laugh on the UFC. He says that, some interesting things in the comments that he's going to go to another thing and show how show these fighters how to do it. So I, everybody assumes that's boxing. Everybody assumes that's Jake Paul. That's the big money fight. If that doesn't happen, that'd be very interesting to see why that wouldn't happen. I think that that would be a mistake by Nate Diaz. If he's looking to make big paydays, Nate is I mean uh J Paul would be it. Now there was talk of him and Connor maybe doing their trilogy in another promotion or in their own promotion. I just don't understand those talks because I believe that Connor McGregor still signed with the UFC. I've never heard that Conor McGregor was a free agent. I've never heard of Conor McGregor was on the end of his fight. So I don't know how that would happen. I'm curious to see what Nate does. He uh, he started his own fight promotion. I the real the only move to me right now that I can see clearly was make sense to Jay Paul. Now if Jay Paul gets beat by Anderson Silva, we will have to see how that. If they're still interested with it going forward, maybe Nate Diaz can figure out a fight with um, Anderson Silva in a boxing match. Who knows? But I just. I hear him starting the promotion to me. That's kind of worrisome because I see a lot of guys try to start this and start their own thing. And when you start saying that you're going to do jujitsu kickboxing and boxing and MMA and all these things, it's like a lot of those sports aren't going to be successful on TV or, you know, are going to be ticket sellers. So boxing will be, it's going to be dependent on really Nate Diaz fighting. I don't think it's a is going to put together a boxing card. that's going to bring, draw a lot of interest unless he's fighting on it. And, uh, you know, if he's going to do MMA, that's that's interesting as well. If he could find the right opponents and the right names, I think people want to watch. Now we go to the Kamzat Chimayev versus Kevin Holland. Now this is a fight with beef into it, and like I said, there was a time in 2020 where these were the two guys that people thought, "Oh, they're going to face each other one day. This is going to this is going to be an interesting matchup." And the, you know, it feels like we're a long ways from that, right? It feels like we're very, very uh, long ways from that fight from that moment in 2020 when Kevin Holland was considered maybe as good as a prospect as Chimayev was. And going into this fight, I kind of told you that Kevin Holland, uh, he, he he doesn't have a poker face. He really doesn't. And when he jokes around, he reveals a lot when he talks. And he lets you know that he didn't feel confidence in this fight. And I, I felt the first five seconds was going to be the most important moment of this fight. Could he do anything to offer Chimayev? To offer some resistance, right? To make Chimayev second guess himself. Anything to push Chimayev back. chimayev runs right in on him. First five seconds gets him straight to the ground. Now it's not like Kevin Holland like folded at that point. He did. He, he, he did use his ground game. He did there, there was um he did use some rolls to try to get a better position. And once Ch- Ch- chimayev got a hold of him, right? And once chimayev got the Dark Choken. I mean, it was brutal. It was no matter what he did. He kept moving in different position. It kept getting tighter and tighter. Remind me of, you see the two um, alligators, they're fighting each other, and the one grabs his arm, and he spins, and he rips his arm off. That's what it felt like. It felt like every time he spun, it was just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And Holland, who was a black belt in jiu-jitsu, had no answers for it. It's like he had never been... Uh, in a grip that strong before. It just, it just seemed like once he was in it, you kind of just, you thought maybe could he get, if I figure it out a way, but you could just tell that slowly he was settling into defeat. It wasn't a mental thing. It was just could, could get out of it. It couldn't, couldn't blame him. And Chimaev. It's just relentless. No, it was just looking to apply the ultimate pace on uh, Holland. And he catches him in the darts and he holds it on tight. And it gets tighter and tighter. i out of the position. And, Kevin Holland submits. And uh, the thing with with Chimayev is I was interested to see if Kevin Holland could survive it, right? Because just the amount of work that Chimayev was putting into getting that finish, if Kevin Holland could have survived that, and what would Chimayev's conditioning have been after that point, right? Especially, let's say, if he had a hard time making weight. And we know that Chimayev has kind of shown that as the fight goes on, which I always thought was the Nate thing would be interesting, is if Nate could survive the first three rounds of just beating and see where Chimayev's gas tank is at. What would it have been after the Kevin Holland fight, right? And I think that some people are questioning his uh, cage IQ, right, with the 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 pace that he was putting on in that fight. The thing I say with, with Chimayev, and when you have a talent like have and when he when when he has that kind of ability, that kind of strength, that kind of power, that the, the, um those kind of techniques, that you're not training him the same. When when you have Mike Tyson, when Mike Tyson walks in, right, and they see him, when you have that much power and ability, raw ability and power, you just want to apply that to someone, right? You want to force that game on someone. So he gets to his opponent. You're not saying you're not telling Mike Tyson, hey, you know, figure him out a few rounds. No, no, no. You're telling Tyson, he's never seen anything like you. We're just gonna unleash you. That's what they're doing with Chimayev. Chimayev is just being unleashed on guys now. Now, the Gilbert Burns fight, you've seen it. It was a a tough back and forth fight, a a fight that he got hurt in, a fight that he was really challenged. It was definitely going to be, to me, a fight of the year. Definitely a competitive fight. Definitely at points where he felt like, oh, maybe this is going to slip away from him. But because of his ability and because of everything he can do, he's not a guy that's going to be like, oh, I'm going to, Choose to play safe for this, but no, no, no. He's just applying his game. That's what is going to do. He's just going to apply his game because it's to, in his mind, and to everyone else's mind, into even if you see his opponent's mind, it is something different. And when it's something different like that, sometimes you don't need the tricks, sometimes you don't need the craft. Sometimes that's what it is. When Chimayev loses, it will probably be a guy that could dra- drag him late. It will probably be, look like a Vander Tyson, it will look like a guy that could survive. The avalanche. It survived the bully, but it's probably gonna be a crazy run until we get there. I just—it's not nothing to do with all oh, the cage IQ or anything like that. This this guy—that's not him. That's not what he's bringing to this. He's bringing destruction. He's bringing—he's applying what he's good at to you, at full force. He's coming at you, hundred percent. If you can stop it, then you could probably beat him. But not even Burns, right? Not even Burns. If you remember the third round in that fight, not even Burns got through it. And that's just the truth. He did what he was supposed to do with the level. He's shown with Gilbert Burns already. He proved that he's at the highest level, right? With um, being a guy like Gilbert Burns. When he fought Kevin Holland, he didn't go down to the competition. No, no, no. He was still fighting at that level, and that's why he got Kevin Holland out of there so quickly. It's going to be interesting what they do with Chimaev because, you know, are they going to move him to middleweight, which is supposedly the rumor now. They're moving to middleweight's next fight at the end of the year. Which, you know, he's fought in middleweight before, but it's also interesting with the storyline of him cutting weight because at first it was saying... You know, we weren't sure. Well, it looked like, he, you know, he did it on purpose. Did he do this on purpose? Did he just choose not to make weight? People were saying eight ate the night before. Then, then he says, you know, oh, the doctor stopped me. And the doctor told me I couldn't cut weight. And it's nonsense because I I would have been able to make it. Right? And I thought that was kind of weird. I was like, well, I don't ever remember um, hearing a story where a doctor stopped a fighter from cutting weight. And we've seen some pretty scary stories You know, We've seen people pass out on scales. We've seen some really de- uh, depleted fighters. So I thought that was a very interesting comment. Now today it's saying the trainer saying, no, it wasn't anyone. There's was no physician. It was me, this doctor cutting weight. So th- that story can't seem to get right for some reason. That's interesting. But moving him to middleweight uh, off of one time he didn't make weight, I think is also very interesting as well. We'll have to see. Middleweight uh, middleweight's definitely uh it's definitely be very interesting. And in that, you know, it's 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 a big jump up from 170 to 185. Even though he's had success there, it's not at the highest level. Um, guys like Whitaker or Victoria, very strong. Uh, I think it'd be very, you know, those are very interesting and tough fights for him. But I think if he could fight at 170, he still wants to fight at 170, he should still have that option. I don't think missing weight one time should eliminate him having that option. As far as Kevin Holland goes, I, I still want to see Kevin Holland. I, I think that his ground game. It's always going to be a problem. I don't think he's ever really going to be able to stop takedowns. I don't think he's mentally the strongest guy in the world. But I think it's a very interesting guy in the middle of the pack. And I think his hands, when he could stay standing, he's always going to be entertaining. He's always going to be in a fight. It's just going to be like good wrestlers and guys that control on top are always going to be his nightmare. Lee Jinglang versus Daniel Rodriguez in a fight that I thought Daniel Rodriguez was clearly going to win. I thought he was going to get the stoppage in this fight. He was 10 pounds heavier than him, and it looked it. As soon as you saw him in the cage, they did not look the same weight class. His stand-up was a little bit crisper um, as far as what I thought going into the fight. I thought his one two and his with his uh, straight left hand was going to be really effective, especially because Lee kind of relies on looping shots and fighting in flurries, uh, wild flurries at that, and trusting his feet to get in and out. But in this fight... um, you know, Rodriguez just didn't trust his left hand. I heard uh, on Twitter, I seen on Twitter there was a rumor that maybe he broke his left hand in training. It, it kind of looked like that. It maybe, I mean, I believe it. He didn't say that, but, you know, he never said that. It's not official or anything like that. But it, it, it kind of looked like that because he just did not throw it. He didn't throw it ever. And this is a guy that relies on his one-twos. He just he relies on them. That that's his, that's his game. And he just doesn't release them. And he doesn't release at all in this fight. And Lee is very comfortable. And his technique's a lot better. And he's... He's, he finds his rhythm, and to me, he just controls the fight. I just never thought that Dan Rodriguez could win this fight. He didn't take any chances to win it. He had landed his jab once in a while, but sometimes the jab has the jab is a very interesting punch. It, if you're going to win with the jab, you have to completely control the fight with your jab. That's my opinion. You just have to completely control the fight, and that's a build on, a build on uh has to build into something else. It cannot just be oh, I jabbed, I landed my jab, and he was landing shots too, and my jab's gonna beat his left hook. It's just that's not gonna happen, right? It's just not gonna happen. That's not the way I'm gonna score it. The jab was a it, it was landing for Rodriguez, but it didn't outweigh the left and right hooks that Jing uh, Lang was landing, right? It didn't outweigh that. It didn't well outweigh uh, his leg kicks. It it just didn't. It was either you set something else else up with it, or you control the fight completely where Lee can't get anything going. That wasn't the case. It was a very competitive fight. I thought Lee won the fight. I thought he was screwed over so many times this weekend as far as training away from his family, um, getting dressed up for the weigh-in, preparing himself to speak English at the weigh-in. That gets canceled. Has a fight with Tony Ferguson, which is a decent name and a favorable matchup for him because Ferguson's moved up to 170. Ferguson's just coming off being slept. That gets taken away from him. He has to fight. Of all the replacements, he has to fight the guy that's ten pounds heavier than him. That's the whole reason the main event wasn't happening. And he gets booed during the fight because I don't. And surprisingly enough to me, who UFC fans kind of seem to pay attention to every storyline. Boo this guy who is making all these things for your entertainment. Make all these exceptions for your entertainment, and then he gets robbed in the scorecards. I mean, it was the ultimate screwing for Li lang And that's disappointing. And he fought and acted like a professional. And he did what he was supposed to do. And he didn't say, No, I'm not going to fight this guy because he's 10 pounds heavier than me, which he should have said, honestly, if we're being honest. But he didn't do that. He went, he fought, and he won the fight. And he should have won the fight. And they didn't give it to him. And I'm sure the UFC was still going to give him a lot of opportunities. I'm sure the UFC is not going to hold this one against him too much because they understand what it took to make this fight happen. But it was still very disappointing. And I thought it was a momentum killer a little bit for him. That would have been a very big win for him, and it would have been, uh, it would have been uh, on a good card where people were paying attention. It's too bad it didn't happen, but I hope people, I hope he gained fans, and I think I really do think he did. And the fans booing, that's because most fans are fools and they're probably drunk and just want to see chaos and mayhem, and that's why they all turn their back when there's a fight in the, the stands. But Lee didn't deserve that 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 was one guy in the car that didn't deserve that. That was Lee. That was disappointing. On the fourth fight, we have Irene Aldana versus Macy Jasson. And in the fight, which was a, a damn good fight, you have Aldana who starts off strong in the first round. She really dominates that round and her hands look good. she looks sharp. She's in and out of range. And then Macy comes out and her standup looks way sharper in the second round. And then she lands a takedown and she's very effective with it. It doesn't look like Aldana has an answer. She can't seem to get up. And then he gets to the third round and Aldana gets a little more energy, but still doesn't look like she has all the way back. And then Macy lands a takedown again. And you're just kind of thinking at that point, I think there's like two minutes, 30 seconds left. Like, okay, Aldana's is going to, she's going to lose this fight. Uh, Macy's going to stay on top. She's going to control her and win this fight. And Irene's not going to have, if she didn't have the energy to get up in the second round, she's not going to have the energy in the third round somehow gets some spacing. I, uh, Macy stands up and she lands a heel kick to her liver. And when you first see, it, you don't know what the hell happens. It kind of looks like she, uh, Macy, like I kicked the an arm and arm broke. Like you're like, I don't know what happened. She just fell straight to the floor, but the heel kick to the liver, you see in the replay and you see Macy say, Oh, it's a liver shot. It, it, it's one of those things where it's it, a bunch of light bulbs entered a, a lot of fighters heads. Right. And they were like, okay, this is a new technique, right? Where a guy, uh, I'm on my back, the person standing over me, but my legs are right there, and everybody goes to try to kick him in the head. But the heel to the body, or a kick to the body, when you have all your leg strength right there, and it's not even shooting up, it's kind of just shooting straight at a point, it's going to be a very interesting. Uh, you're, you're going to see a lot of people attempting this now. It was a amazing stop. It, it, it should have been knocked out of the night. I don't know how they did their bonuses, but it, that should have been knocked out of the night. And Irina O'Donnell gets a big win, in a fight that really, she had a scrape at the bottom of the barrel to pull that off like she had to pull everything out and she literally did she literally pulled everything out to get the win and I'm going to be honest I would say both Macy and Irene to beat Amanda Nunez right now it might sound crazy I know I understand you got to think that Amanda Nunez is not the same fighter that she once was she's definitely on the downside of her career now I know that she just got her win back but even in that fight she was getting touched up and that the um and and her opponent wasn't a great striker, right? It was isn't the best of her hands. It's kind of actually wild and robotic with her hands. Aldana is very loose with her hands. She's very comfortable with her hands. I think that Nunez will have a world of problem with her movement and her hands letting go. Macy is very long. Very creative. I think that uh, Nunez will have problems with her as well. I would love to see Aldana versus Nunez next. And then let's get back to this rematch with Irene and Macy win or lose for Aldana. I really like. I think the stock rolls for both fighters, and Aldana with that highlight reel stoppage, to me, put herself in a spot for a title shot against Amanda Nunes. I predicting that's Amanda Nunes' next opponent. I thought it was a, a entertaining card. I thought, especially Aldana uh, Chayasan. I thought that, that that fight stole the night. I, like I said, Nate Diaz, it was—he's kind of in the, the point where he can't have a bad fight. He's like one of the rest, like part-time wrestlers who's like really good and just can't do it every night. But when he does wrestle with someone, he like makes an entertaining match. Nate Diaz is kind of that for MMA right now. He just kind of knows how to make an entertaining match and all the trash talk and the stunts that uh, Ferguson and him pulled and then the offense that so they did land when they did land. It's just—it just made an entertaining night. I don't know. Comes out, proved that he, He's going to be tough to beat. For anyone, it's just going to be interesting what they do with his weight class next. And Lee Jingling, uh, Jingling, uh, to me, should have gained a lot of fans. Should have gained a lot of respect. He gained my respect. I think he's a a a true professional, someone that you can tell takes the sport very seriously, very serious about his career. And, you know, Danny Rodriguez, who, to me, wasn't his best performance, looked flat to me, didn't take the chances to win, but got the win. I, I still think he's very interesting as well. You know, when he's letting go is 1-2, he's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast.